This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 24th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court said recently that, yes, you are allowed to challenge the constitutional basis of administrative courts. So what changes now? Cato's Tommy Berry and the Pacific Legal Foundation's Will Yateman offer their thoughts. So this is actually two consolidated uh, cases, challenge, both challenges to essentially the existence of administrative procedures. One is about the FTC, uh, the agency that deals with antitrust and, and related matters. A company bought a com- competitor company. The FTC was concerned there might be an antitrust problem there, uh, started investigating. Uh, and the company essentially wanted to challenge the very existence of this procedure, the very fact that these investigations get heard by an FTC administrative law judge and then the FTC commission, and the fact that, at least in in the company's view, that's an unconstitutional violation of of separation of powers and and due process. And then the related case, uh, Cochrane versus SEC, kind of a similar similar challenge, this time to the SEC, the the group that, uh, the agency that uh, regulates financial matters, Uh, someone was... uh, going to be uh, go through a procedure with them and wanted to challenge uh, the very existence of that procedure, its constitutionality. In both cases, they tried to challenge in the, a federal district court, and the federal district courts tossed them out, not on the merits, not on the constitutional question, but on a preliminary procedural question, a jurisdictional question, whether they could hear it at all. Both of them essentially said that the statutes that set up these procedures require them to go through the administrative process, and then if they lose in front of the administrative law judge, then they can appeal to a federal court of appeals. And so the question in both of these cases is, do you have to go through the agency and appeal to a court of appeals? Or like most cases, like the default rule, can you go to a federal district court to bring these constitutional claims? So if this is a matter of procedure and courts are essentially deferring to executive agencies to make uh, determinations about you know, guilt or innocence in, a, in an administrative process, uh, Will, how does that change what happens if uh, uh, Axon or this other company had been able to uh, access courts after the administrative process? Oh, it's a tremendous difference. Um, uh, well, but I'll use first Miss Cochran as an example. I mean, she's been enmeshed in administrative proceedings, one of these agency in-house courts at the SEC where the agency is prosecutor and judge. Um, she's been wrapped up in that for more than eight years and counting. And what the agency wants in this case is for her to start at step one anew. Um, so the difference between getting to sue now when you challenge the underlying, uh, when you challenge the agency's in-house courts in and of themselves, um, when you're saying, wait a second, these these things, they're entirely unconstitutional, um, I shouldn't have to be, I shouldn't have to submit to one of these interminable proceedings when my whole challenge is that uh, this thing shouldn't exist under our constitution. Um, so it's a huge difference, um, that of being able to challenge it before um, you have to exhaust your claim, and that's exhaust is the fancy legal term for, um, you know, uh, having to go through the agency first before you bring your constitutional claim to district court, to a federal district court. And I'll just note here very briefly the how it defies common sense, the, how, the way it used to be before the Supreme Court changed it. 
um, in Axon, FTC, and SEC v. Cochrane. That is to say, what sort of agency is going to declare itself unconstitutional? I mean, that's, you know, that's a big waste of eight years for Ms. Co- and counting for Ms. Cochran. So uh, I guess I, I also want to know, are the agencies themselves advantaged, advantaged by being able to build these delays into the process that is delaying someone's access to, for lack of a better term, a real court? Of course. I mean, who has more resources than the Department of Justice, backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. Treasury? Um, so, uh, uh, yes, that is often a litigation strategy, both in their these, these in-house courts operated by the regulatory agencies and indeed in federal court or state court, wherever um, the federal government is prosecuting. Uh, the gross disparity of resources that's evident whenever the federal government takes on another party is pretty much always brought to bear. All right. So, Tommy, what did the court say here? Sure. So the court essentially held that, yes, they did have the right to bring these these cases in federal district court. And I would say the number one reason why was the fact that this is a challenge to the very fact the, the, the being brought through this process itself. Um, along the lines of what Will was saying, this is kind of a situation where the process is the punishment uh, line applies. And here they were pointing out that even if they won, in front of these administrative proceedings, it is still a constitutional violation. It is still an injury to have to go through the process if, in fact, it's an unconstitutional process. And so what the court said was essentially if they had to go through that process first and then they appealed to a court of appeals, even if they eventually win on the constitutional question, you can never get rid of that injury, the fact that they had to go through an unconstitutional process. And so because that's, as the court put it, a here and now injury, uh, they said that that gives them the right, that gives them uh, the need to challenge it before the fact in a federal district court. And then if the federal district court or a court of appeals finds it's unconstitutional, they would never have to go through that administrative process. How does this change the ability for federal administrative agencies to be able to bring actions against people or companies? For now, it does absolutely nothing. I mean, this was uh, this controversy, this Axon v. FTC and uh, SEC v. Cochrane pertain to whether or not these parties have a right to be in federal court to challenge the constitutionality of these regimes. So now once those cases went their way through, I mean, it's very possible at at the end, perhaps all the way at the end of the Supreme Court, there may be law made that significantly affects these agencies. But for now, it's it's, um, the question was whether or not they're allowed to to, to get their foot in the court's door. So uh, this was sort of a prelude to answering that question for serious of of whether or not these agencies are well, behaving constitutionally. In, in well, very much so. But uh, I'll note here: so preclusion, which is this this issue at play, but whether or not Congress intended for the uh, regulated party to exhaust their claims through administrative adjudication or go to federal court, preclusion is only one of the locks on the door to the judiciary's uh, on the door to the judiciary. So there are others um, standing, for example, and I, I won't go into it, but that is to say, just because these parties have won on uh, preclusion doesn't necessarily mean there aren't other justiciability, or, or that's a fancy legal word for other reasons why 
uh, they can be denied access to the courts. So going forward, uh, what do you exp- did the court even hint at what they might say were these cases to proceed? This it, it doesn't seem like they would be uh, incentivized to do that. But is there any indication about how the court uh, might rule on these cases if they do eventually get to the U.S. Supreme Court? Not from the full court, but Justice Thomas had a very interesting concurrence where he pointed out not only is there a constitutional problem, a separation of powers problem here, there's also a sort of a Seventh Amendment, a a right to jury trial problem here. Uh, The fact that the normal process where you go through the administrative agency first as kind of a replacement for a trial and then appeal to a circuit court, that builds in a lot of deference to the fact-finding by the administrative agency. And that itself is a problem if the administrative agency might be biased or might have different sorts of procedures than you would get in in the federal district court. Uh, So Justice Thomas, perhaps not necessarily decided in this case, but uh, opened the door or or strongly encouraged people uh, to bring challenges to that deferential mode of review. And that would be a problem even if some of the separation of powers concerns, like the insulation of these judges, uh, even if those were remedied, there would still be a problem with with the deferential standard that the courts of appeals currently have. Willie, uh, one related to this, when you are hauled into an administrative court, uh, there are pretty significant problems related to due process. There are uh, pretty significant problems related to uh, the incentives that operate within those courts. Can you can you describe some of those? Well, indeed. I think the Ultimately, the proof is in the pudding. Um, the best statistic or the best example, the best way to describe the agency's advantage is their winning record. Um, and in the Axon v. FTC, so with respect to the Federal Trade Commission, the Ninth Circuit, uh, the court below, um, went out of its way. And it wasn't a panel of super conservative judges. Um, it, the Ninth Circuit, however, in deciding against Axon, went out of its way to note some troubling due process concerns at the FTC, including the fact that the FTC hadn't lost in its in-house courts in 25 years. Um, And the Ninth Circuit quipped that this was a record that the 72 Dolphins, who famously went undefeated, um, would envy. So, uh, uh, look, at the end of the day, when you're before court, you're before somebody with a lifetime appointment, salary guarantees, um, you, you're protected by the, not protected, but you, you receive the benefits of the federal rules of civil procedure. Um, all that's thrown out the window when you're on the uh, on the agency's home turf. Um, so uh, it, it, it's, it, I guess in practice, it is just as bad as it sounds. Insofar as, as the FTC demonstrates, the agency never loses. Uh, but I'll also note regarding the other agency, the SEC, there was a very, uh, fairly famous Wall Street Journal article from 2016, I believe, um, uh, in which the agency discussed how, due to a string of recent losses on insider cases before juries, they were going to switch to uh, their in-house courts and try their luck there. Now, why would they do that? Um, you know, in, in the immediate wake of several high-profile losses uh, before juries. Um, you know, the, the, the obvious answer is that it's easier to win when you don't have to deal with juries. Um, it's easier to win when it's on your home turf. So, you know, both these agencies that were at hand in these two cases, I think, amply demonstrate sort of the, the built-in biases and unfairness um, inherent whenever the prosecutor 
works for the same people as the judge, all under one roof. I'm leaping way far ahead. But what is the path forward for telling individuals, telling companies that they simply have access to courts, uh, real courts, uh, when administrative agencies bring cases against them? Well, hopefully, if if these cases are, are successful, that will go a long way towards opening the courts um, to that. At the very least, it would get rid of a lot of the advantages if they win, if these challenges win on, on separation of powers claims. It would eliminate many of the ad- advantages we, we've been discussing that the agencies currently have in-house. You would no longer sort of have them able to be prosecutor and judge of their own cases. And at that point, once you're on more equal footing... Um, then district courts would perhaps be be just as appealing to both sides. How does the government defend these courts? I mean, to the extent that uh, administrative agencies, but they want to win, obviously, so they have a strong, str- presumably a strong incentive to want to keep these kinds of adjudications in-house if they can. But in general, how do they defend the legitimacy of these administrative courts? Uh, they purport um, that these administrative courts uh, have the virtues of expertise and efficiency. Um, however, in practice, uh, that's far from the case too often. Um, for example, I spoke earlier about how Michelle Cochran, in one of these two cases, has been in the administrative proceedings for eight years. So that's about two and a half times as long as the average federal jury trial at a district court. Um, so clearly not efficient. And we, we actually, when I, I used to work here at Cato, we submitted a brief to that case where we had original research demonstrating that Ms. Cochran was actually the average, was the norm at the SEC. Um, uh, and then with respect to expertise, look, a, a lot of these charges pertain to things like fraud. Um, I mean, good Lord, there's no way that courts aren't the most expert when, when it comes to discerning whether or not somebody has made a, a willful misrepresentation. So uh, that is to say that both of these purported virtues in practice, where the rubber meets the road, they don't actually exist in large part, at least for these coercive prosecutorial uh, uh, programs that we've been talking about and that offend our constitutional sensibilities. And I'll just add that they'll claim that any concerns about legitimacy or concerns about usurping Article 3 are assuaged by the ability to appeal to a federal court of appeals. But but as Justice Thomas aptly points out, a, a lot of those, th- that doesn't just fix everything and just make it equivalent to having all the protections of, of an Article 3 court because the fact-finding is is so deferential. Tommy Berry is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Will Yateman is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 